to this week's episode of Let's Talk Soul Business. My name is Barbara, and in the past 20 years that I've been working, I have seen many leaders come and go, some brilliant ones and some horrible ones. And ever since, I've been fascinated by the question, what makes the difference between good and bad leadership, between making an impact and just making money? And I know the answer. The difference is heart and soul. Those leaders and organizations where there is soul do make a difference for their people, for their clients, and for society. In this podcast, we explore what this means. How do you bring in heart and soul? Can you choose people over short-term profit or success? And what happens when you choose vulnerability over toughness? Using insights and inspiration from many different areas, this will be the place to get inspired for a different kind of leadership. I believe we desperately need more heart and soul in the world, so I'm very happy to have these conversations with all of you. Join us, let me know what you think, because it's about time. Let's talk soul business. In Let's Talk Soul Business, I talk about bringing heart and soul into working life. And I do that through talking to different guests, from within, from a distance, or with a new and different perspective. Today, we're doing From Within again, a soulful leader who speaks honestly and openly about what it means to bring in heart and soul. With me today is Anna Metzen. Anna is a partner at McKinsey. She leads the strategy and corporate finance practice for Switzerland, and she co-leads M&A strategy and portfolio for the life science practice around the world. She is a globally recognized and highly successful merger management and carve-out advisor. And Anna has close to 20 years of M&A experience, and she has supported more than 110 M&A deals, ranging from 200 million to 50 billion. And we're not done yet. Anna also has extensive consulting, corporate and private equity experience. She regularly lectures on M&A topics at business schools across Europe and has published numerous studies. And for those who don't know, the field of corporate finance and M&A is traditionally known as a tough business where ratio, Excel sheets and men dominate the world. So I'm really curious to learn from Anna today about leading with heart and soul in this world. In addition to her work in the field of M&A, Anna is also passionate about diversity and she has served in multiple roles and boards advocating diversity and inclusion. Prior to McKinsey, she worked 17 years for Deloitte, where she, amongst other roles, was part of the Swiss Executive Board as the managing partner for talent. Anna does not choose the easy path. She stands for what she believes in, also when the going gets tough. She's a single mother raising two beautiful kids, originally from Sweden, spending a big part of her childhood in Germany and now living in Switzerland. She's a passionate outdoor and sports person who seems to burst with energy all the time. The type of person you ask yourself, how? Thank you so much, Anna, for being with me today. Let's talk soul business. So how is that to listen to this very impressive bio about yourself, Anna? <laughs> Wow, Barbara, that was impressive myself. That's a, thank you for putting it so beautifully into words. Uh, and 
you know, it's, I never reflect on what I do. I just do it, right? So splashed a little bit here, I think. Uh, very, very, <laughs> and rightfully, and rightfully so. But that I think that's an amazing thing that you're saying already. I, I never think too much about what I do. I just do it all. Uh, can you say a little bit more? You mean you just do it all? It's quite a lot what you're all doing. And I think I'm known for doing a lot, and and I get a you know I get a lot of like you do too much, but I actually I love it, right? It gives me energy. Um, I thrive on new ideas, new initiatives, being involved, and at the end of all, it's all about really trying also to have a bit of an impact and making a bit of a positive stance in the world, right? Um, so and. I've always been like that from the, you know, from the very, very first uh, days on earth till, till now. I, I just love doing a lot of things. Yeah. And how important is that for you to, to really like what you are doing? Because you love it. This sounds like an impressive list, but I know that you really love what you are doing. Um, so, you know, I think that's the it's the most important to actually really be passionate about what you're doing. Um, I would say specifically in work we spend an awful lot of time, right, working. If you're not passionate about that, um, that's for me not living a fulfilling life. Um, I personally don't like the word work-life balance because I think life is also work and work is life, right? Um, and for me, you need to work for something that you really enjoy, that you're passionate about. Um, and then that's how you get energy. Um, it's also an advice I would always give people who try to, you know, maybe some people optimize and work in fields that they think they can get gain, you know, have financial gains or it's something they feel they have to do. But if you're not passionate about it, it's really hard to actually create an impact, I think, and actually also create really the positive results and actually have a fulfilling life. Yeah. So passion, passion for what you're doing as a necessary condition to um, to live a fulfilling life. Does that mean for you, passion is also part of being a soulful leader or living a soulful life? I absolutely think so. Um, and I had this experience many years ago in my career. I, I was at the point I was at, at Deloitte in London at the time. Um, and I was just going for something called director, and it's quite a big process and a big four, right? And as part of that, I actually took a weekend with a, a friend of mine who I'd worked with in the past, who was a coach at the time. And I said, you know, I, I observed what I'd seen in the business world, which in the time at the time I was in London, and it's a tough, tough world, right? As you said, it's M and A, it's corporate finance, it's very, it's very driven, very analytical. And I compared that to how I wanted to be as a leader because I had an experience many years ago before I started working. I was working actually for a not NGO, a student-run organization called ISIC. And as part of that, that was all about passion and that was all about making this place a better world. Um, and you learned a lot about leadership in those times. Um, I, you know, I was the head of the Swedish organization. We had 200 members, all volunteers, right? Um, and you had to motivate people to work quite hard for this organization because they were, were arranging uh, traineeships for international students. In any case, I came from a world where I saw, you know, you could have a lot of passion around leadership. You can put people really at the heart of your decisions. And then I was in this, you know, I would say city of London, big four world. And what I observed around me was quite a different leadership style, mainly. It was much more analytical, much more to the point, very little soul. I always gave the example, I would come into the office and no one would even say hello because uh, everyone was so busy sitting in their laptops working away. So I, but I thought in that weekend, I said, I have a choice here to make. Do I want to continue here or do I want to do it, you know, and become like everyone else? 
or do I actually say this is the time because I'm anyway different. I'm one of the few females in this world of M&A and corporate finance. I'm always going to stand out. But do I bring a bit of my true authentic self and who I want to be as a leader, who I want to be as a person into work? And I actually very consciously took that decision that weekend as I was preparing and said, I'm going to make it. And maybe this the way, I, you know, by being different, leading in a different way, bringing much more heart and compassion, empathy into the workplace, maybe I can actually make a difference. Wow. So you're actually saying that that moment that I could call that a pivotal moment, that moment where you decide to step up to, to a really significant level in your career. That's the moment where you, where you said, I want to do this in a soulful or authentic way, however you call it, and you deliberately made that choice. What were the responses uh, on that one? So, so first of all, I mean, actually, I totally forgotten about this until I was, you know, until I was, until you t started talking about soulful business, and I was, you know, thinking about this, and I actually literally remembered coming into like our, our discussion today. I was like, that was the moment. I totally forgotten about it. I think um, for me at that point, I was actually a bit afraid because I was like, I'm going to be different. This is not what I'm seeing around me. Um, and I wasn't actually very explicit about it. So I didn't go and like come back on the Monday and say, listen, I'm going to do this differently. As of today, I am. <laughs> exactly. No, I didn't do that. But I, what I said was, I'm going to be true to myself and to my values and what I think is important. And I just started living it. Um, and, and, um, and then, you know, I just started doing it in small scale in the small projects I was in and the small teams I was in. A few years later, I actually had the opportunity, as you know, to at Deloitte take a role in talent. Uh, and there I actually, for me, that was really the opener where I was able to actually try and bring some of my personal philosophy into a much broader setting, right? And influence the way that company would think about leadership, the types, and you can do that by the types of training you give to the leaders, the kind of performance management approach you take, you could start changing things more at scale. Yeah, um, so then you really took it from an individual lef level to a more systemic level. How can I also bring in those values into a system? Tried to, tried to. It's a, it's a process, I would say, but I tried to, right? But I think the way I started was just how I changed my day-to-day -day interactions with my team, the way I conducted my work, not just with my teams, also with my clients. Um, and it actually made work a lot more fun because you actually start recognizing that there's a person behind the client or that there's a person behind that team member, everyone with their own stories. Um, and, and I think what I've seen is over time, these colleagues become really close friends, right? And you actually develop friendships. There is, uh, you know, there's so many benefits of bringing a bit of soul and heart into into business, I think. Yeah, it sounds as if that's the moment when you build real connection uh, uh, to people, when you see the person and the story behind the numbers and the names. Yeah, no, and it's, it's interesting because I, Actually, I was—I uh, actually came across a, a piece of data the other day, and it says that uh, the McKinsey they did a piece of research, and it says 86% of employees, right, really consider the relationship to the management as a key factor in determining their satisfaction in the job. Um, and it's—it's it's interesting. Actually, a big portion—I think it was like 45% or something—of those who responded, they said if they have a bad relationship with management, they're very uh, likely to leave their jobs as well, right? So I think there's even a benefit So bringing soul and heart into business. I actually think there's a benefit around retention, making people actually more, more satisfied with their jobs and also 
making sure you actually have better impact in, in the work that you do. And I think this is such an important aspect that you're bringing here. This is not just a beautiful conversation. This is, there is a business case around this. This is, uh, and I think especially going forward, thinking about the future of work and the different generations that are coming into the workplace and, and even into society, you can also bring it to societal level, but there is a, a very strong business case uh, around that. So I will definitely put the link to that research that you have in the show notes there as well, Anna, because I can imagine people are really interested in that and and maybe going back to what you said um about making that choice uh of of being an authentic self and bringing in heart and soul uh in a moment in your career i think what is really interesting is that you say it's not something that i did explicitly and started sharing with everybody however it does sound as a very deliberate and explicit choice for yourself Sure. And what happened? How, how were the responses? Um, um, I mean, you described what happened to yourself. You said, I could actually build even stronger connections and have more fun. How did other people respond to you? It's a, good, it's a really good question. But I think um, people, my, my looking back, right? I think people are attracted to this kind of leadership. Um, it's something, you know, maybe it's, there's a bias and who is attracted to it. I think the result is that you kind of you create a team around you that wants to continue working with you right and i got a lot of very positive response um not necessarily saying oh you're you're a soulful leader no one actually put it into words right but it's like yes it's it's you know there's a good you know there's a good connection you get good feedback there is a bit of there's a bit of heart in it and i think you've and i think the other evidence is there's so many friendships built through work um which you know i find quite interesting as well and it's so uh, and and what i love about what you're saying is it's actually once you do it once you do make that choice um you you get more joy you get more connection and actually also again business-wise you get a great team higher retention greater results so what i'm actually hearing is i did feel a little bit scared once i decided to go for that but i actually never looked back this was the way for me Absolutely. I think I was scared that, you know, it was a realization. I had to make a choice. Uh, I was a bit, is it possible? Can I do this? Uh, but I think I never then looked back. I just kind of, you know, went my way, certainly did many errors along the way. You know, it's, I think leadership and then bringing soul into business is something you learn and you adjust uh, and it changes. But I think that there needs to be it's like a true north star it's like you need to stay true to yourself right you need to stay true to your values what you consider it's it's bringing a bit of empathy and also allowing others to be their true authentic self in in a business setting which is not always easy because what it means is that not everyone needs to be the say the strong alpha male right it's uh, yeah. not everyone just has to demonstrate their great strength right it's just a bit about being able to be humble as well talk about your weaknesses and your development areas because everyone has development areas 
Um, but if we don't create that culture where people can actually acknowledge that, you also don't give them the opportunity to develop. And does that mean that you have also seen this change over the years in your M&A world, in your working world? Is there, uh, are you still a little bit the unicorn in there um, or is this happening more and more? I, I would say it's probably not the norm, but I'm definitely not a unicorn. Uh, I would say the degree of what I would call them soulful leaders, empathetic leaders is increasing. And it's quite interesting because I think a few years ago, no one talked about this. It was not a concept. It's something that's just really come up recently. And, and as it's, you know, as I've seen the research and I've seen the kind of, I was like, oh, well, that's a bit, that's been my philosophy without having put it into words, right? And I think one of the interesting things for me has been, because I used to see all these like clients, like tough businessmen, men, men usually, very few women, uh, but some tough women as well. And I used to see them and, and it was like these, there was a, like a, like, you know, you, you couldn't really tell how they were feeling, right? There was this uh, was sort of feel curtain, or mask. Feel, yes. Very tough. But, but as you actually, as part of this, what I started doing was I just started listening, right? I started listening and started to be, call it a coach, right? But I think in, they're in situations was just career changing from them a lot of times because it's an M&A situation, but it'd be the biggest deal of the company. Could be a complete career changer, career breaker or career changer for them with lots of uncertainty because there's lots of change. Um, and I think just taking a bit of time, listening, trying to understand who they are, what drives them, what their fears are, et cetera. Obviously not doing that explicit, like I, I'm not the psychotherapist that comes in and asks a lot of questions, but actually just asking questions like, how are you really doing, right? Like, how are you really doing? Being there for them. And what happened was that over time, I would have my main clients, they would, you know, Friday nights, they would drive home from work. That's the time they used to call me to have a chat, right? And then over time, you know, they would start talking about the business and the challenges and we would kind of problem solve around that. But over time, they also started talking about their fears and hopes, etc. And I found that for me, again, was something that I found extremely interesting because it gave me the person behind that veil, so to say, like the, you know, that behind Absolutely. every, you know, tough person, there's a, there's, there's hopes and fears, I would say. Um, and it gave me a great opportunity to connect, right, um, as well. And I think this is, I think many people, um, or let's say the other way around, very few people when they think about corporate finance and M&A, they think about this aspect that you're actually bringing there of, of listening and deep empathy and curiosity as well uh, for the other person who is, uh, who is sitting there. Um, is that something that you see a lot around you or are you special in that one? I know that you don't say very quickly that you are special, but let, let's put it my way in there. I think this is special, in, especially in this field, but in general in corporate, being so deeply interested in the human being and the hopes and fears behind something, that does bring something special and unique to the table. Uh, I, I think, Barbara, you're pushing me there, but I do think that is probably unique, right? It's not the norm. And a lot of times it's not the norm because people have no time, right? You're always working under immense time pressure. But I always find, so say you're also in an M&A in a deal negotiation, uh, very stressful situation, right, um, for, for the people involved. But just that little coffee between in the break in the negotiation where you just, you know, ask a question about their personal life or about, you know, who they are and how they're feeling. Like you start building a bit of trust, which makes, again, almost the M&A negotiation easier as well. Um, and then when it comes to actually doing the integration, I would say that's all about people. Deals don't fail because someone did a bit of a wrong calculation. That's very seldom that deals fail because the analytics wasn't correct. 
deals fail because you cannot bring the organizations and the people together. There's cultural issues, there's you know, communication issues. It's all about the people. And I would even add to that, they, if you cannot bring the people or the culture together, that is not about the Excel sheets. That's about the feelings of people. That is about the chemistry and the energy uh, uh, yeah. between people. Yeah, and how they feel inspired. Do they even feel inspired to work for this new conglomerate, this new company coming together, right? Do they feel that actually comes down to actually their personal fears and hopes as well? Do they feel they can have a future in this organization? Are they able to tell their spouse when they come home if they still have the corner office and the company car, right? It's personal fears of their status, their security of their jobs, their ability to have impact in their job. Once that's recognized and once that then and to, to tackle that, everyone needs to bring a bit of empathy in. And this is where I think, you know, the success of MNA in the end, if you can't bring empathetic leadership in when you're actually integrating or separating company, both, right? It's uncertain situations for the companies, but also for the individuals. That's, you know, I think that's the game changer in that field. And, and, and I think this is a really clear example of where being an empathetic or a soulful leader uh, is not only towards the talent that you have around you that you work with, but makes you more successful in the market, makes you more successful towards your clients. I think that's, that's a really clear outcome of what you're saying. I, I, I agree. I think it makes, you know, it can make, can make me more successful, but it can make the client more successful as well, right? And I think one of the advices I would give my clients in those situations, listening to their people, right? Being empathetic in this big, you know, it's a big uncertain time for, for their employees can, for me, make or break the success of the company, actually. And, and do you... Do you ever feel insecure about this as in, oh, I should bring in a little bit less of, of this authenticity of myself or of, of all my passion and heart and soul? What are moments that you doubt yourself? <laughs> um, so, well, every now and then, right? It's like, because I'm also a very open person. I talk, you know, I don't mind talking about my my past, my backgrounds, etc. And sometimes I feel, well, maybe I should just not, right? Be more secretive because a lot of people are but I think that a lot of times the benefit of being open um, outweighs any negative consequences this might have um, because it creates the opportunity for a connection with someone else um, being seen as you know more human right with all the faults um, and then I think that's, so that's when it comes about how much do I open up myself and then I think around um, you know being interested in others I just don't see any in any like being empathetic etc i don't see any downsides on that that i don't doubt i think it's much more like making sure i stay true to that principle i think that's much more the challenge because yeah. sometimes time you have a lot on like a lot on your plate there's a lot going on you might be very occupied with your own personal life or private life or, or professional life like not it takes energy yes. i think that's that's the other that's you know that was a moment for me where at I had a point in my life where my private life wasn't going very well. Um, that took a lot of energy. But trying to be very empathetic at work was really, really hard and mm -hmm. took, took more energy than it gave energy. Um, so I think there might be times where you need to protect yourself a little bit as well. Because if you, if you have an open door and you're the one who's listening and trying to help, I think it's also setting some boundaries for yourself so that you, um, you, know, so that you can manage your own energy levels, I think. Well, I think that's a really important one. And 
How do you know for yourself when those boundaries need to be reset or need to be protected? Because I always think that that is some those boundaries are not fixed, right? It comes and goes in a certain way. How do you check in with yourself where your boundaries are and if you're still okay? Um, so, so I think for me, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I know when I get tired, like sleep for me is one of those indicators. I have a couple of indicators where I feel, okay, probably my energy levels aren't where they should be. I don't, I'm not as engaged in the conversation. I can't remember what someone said, etc. you know, and then I need to check in and say, do I need a bit of a reset? Do I need to put a bit of a break in here, et cetera? I think I've become with time, and this has taken an awful lot of time, a lot better at saying no. And I'm still, that's still one of my learnings, right? Is saying no, not, not you know, being a bit choiceful around where, where do I put my energy and where do I not do that, right? Yeah. Because um, I think especially, you know, in, in my field, there's a lot of requests. Can I be at this event? Can I come to this recruitment event or this uh, be a speaker for, for you know, this female sure, only event? Endless. And there's endless requests, right? And you just need to be mindful around. You can't attend everything because that's you need to be choiceful there, I think. Yeah, so, so what I'm hearing is that you're saying, well, actually being or not being that type of leader, the type of person that I am and my values, that is actually, I never feel insecure about that. However, if I'm not taking care of myself and my boundaries, I might not always be able to show up that way. And exactly. not always, show, is, is that, am I understanding that correctly? I think that that's probably a good way to put it, right? I think I feel very secure in the way I, you know, the way I bring myself to work, right? And I try to be authentic and empathetic. That I don't have any doubts about. What I were, what I, what I need to watch out is that I also reset and put my boundaries in place so I can continue being the good leader in that sense, right? And the empathetic leader and have the energy to deal with people. And yeah. and do your and I'm I'm just curious. Do your children uh, see a very different um, Anna than than your work? I know, of course, M and A is a different one than than the kids, uh, totally. But just in general, do you think you show up? differently and the reason for asking is that i i talk to so many leaders and um and very often they think well i just have a personal side and and i have a work side for you it sounds a lot more fluid can you say a little bit more about <laughs> I do, that i do think it's extremely fluid i was just gonna say i don't actually think so i don't think they would see me because i also now with covid right we've been working a lot of home at home right so they you know they see me at work um, they obviously, you know, they know exactly what I'm doing because they, they're very fascinated by PowerPoint and they know I do a lot of PowerPoint Absolutely. and I talk to a lot of people, right? Uh, and it's, it's funny because, you know, actually a little funny story I have to tell you, Barbara. On Sunday, I was driving home in the car and I wanted to call a friend and I had the two kids in the back and I was speaking on the phone for a long time because it was a friend who had a personal problem, etc. At the next day, William was like, oh, mommy, you worked yesterday. I was like, I didn't work yesterday. He's like, you did a call. And for him, that call just sounded like a work call, right? And I was like, because, you know, I was, you know, asking questions, caring. And I mean, reflecting on it, you know, I that probably shows I'm really the same with my friends as I am at work, right? And then for him. <laughs> And I, uh, I love this, uh, this example, really, because yeah. I also, I don't agree that you have, that there is a personal and a private side. I think when we're talking no. about soulful leadership, it is all about integration. And it's about, you, you can't say, oh, I have a work soul and I have a 
home soul or something like that. It's no. when it is about your true authentic self, it's it's the same everywhere in every yeah. role that you're doing. So your example beautifully uh, showcases that. Yeah, and I don't think it's always been like that. I think it's evolved, right? I think that's kind of like there's a beautiful thing that comes with age and maturity is you become more secure, I think. You don't care as much what others think. Uh, and I, so I think for me, this is probably uh, 10 years ago, it might have been different. But today, I would say the boundaries are very little. I would bring, you know, uh, at, at my current work, we're, we have a lot of times we're actually able to bring our kids with us, right? So they know our work really well as well. And they know the colleagues and they don't see any difference. Uh, and I, I, it was funny, I had another, um, my team knows where, where I spend, you know, they, they, they knew I can't travel when I have my kids so they said well, well we'll come to you and they also know where where I live so they're like well we'll place ourselves exactly where you live uh had nothing to do with the project but they you know for them it was no problem right for them me then to bring my kids to to dinner and see them and it's it's really mixed right and yeah. is this something is this something that you have seen changing not only for yourself but also in in working life is this yeah. something that is changing and and also looking forward will the future really look different uh, in, in this aspect? I think COVID and everything that came with um, working from home and Zoom calls has fundamentally changed um, the way we look at work and private lives, I, I would say, right? To, to, to the extent that it's much more, people have realized that there is, you know, the, people have to manage their their family lives right and it's totally fine ever you know to be a parent and to show that you are a parent as well uh or that you you know if you don't have kids like your, your spouse partner etc right i think that has really changed compared to maybe pre-covid where it was much easier to just you go to work you do your work and then you become that second persona right where and no one actually knows what your private life looks like right i think it's I, I I see a big big shift and a much bigger acceptance, especially for dads to be dads. <laughs> yeah, because I was I was gonna say this is um, many people uh, say wrongly I would say that um, that this is for women. It's starting to get better for women, but for men they still they still have to put your heads down, work on your Excel sheet, and just deliver deliver deliver. Uh, a kind of mode i'm saying it a bit black and white um how would you see that do you also see this changing for men i, I see it change and you know gender diversity is one of my gender yes. quality and business is one of my passions and i see it changing for men and only if it changes for men will it change for women um so what do i mean by that i mean i see it being i see the the, the current generation of new dads they are much more open about needing to balance being at home and uh, looking after their children and being a good family father, a good partner with their work. They're much more, they're not hiding it, right? They're open about that. They have to go and pick up their children from daycare if the child is sick. Uh, they have the kids coming into the Zoom calls, even with clients. I see that's a whole different setup and, and view than compared to a few years ago. Um, and it's totally, it's accepted. I would say it's even celebrated. Um, and um, and I have, I want... in general, would you say that that is in general already uh, accepted? I have seen a big shift. I don't okay. think it's fully accepted everywhere. And we live obviously in Switzerland where we're always a little bit behind. But I think it's a, very different from what it was two years ago mm -hmm. or three, three, four years ago even. And I, I see, and I would say, 
fathers, new fathers today want to be part and they want to, you know, there is, uh, I think there's a whole different understanding of what it means. I think very few still go back to the old model where they just don't show up at home. Um, yeah, it's often what I say, once you know, you can't unknow anymore, right? Yeah, so exactly. uh, that's the same example that you're giving around your own uh, choices that you make around being authentic and bringing that to work. Once you yeah. have decided and, and you know this, it's yeah. really hard to go back to a to an old yeah. status quo. Yeah, and it's funny, my, my daughter the other day, she was like, ah, so you're speaking to colleague, you know, call him XYZ, right? Ah, that's the one who always has his son in his lap, right? And I was like, yep, yeah, because he would we have internal team calls in the evenings. The son has come back from daycare. He has, you know, comes and sits with us, listens. He's two years, three years old, right? But it's, you know, shows, you know, he's he's visible. He comes and can, has, says hello. He knows everyone. We even did a little team cartoon, right? Like a picture just to draw from on the team. And like his cartoon was with his son in his lap because that's what he's known for. And my daughter has even seen it walking by my Zoom. And what is the consequence of this? So what do you what what do you see happening to, to teams, to organizations, maybe even at a higher level? Uh, now we are allowing more and more of this into our professional life um so i see actually the consequences two things right i actually think there's a also people who don't like this but mm -hmm. let's be very honest let's put that on the table as yes. well right who don't like it who thinks it's too soft and people aren't focused enough and aren't working hard enough and you know so i think that that's one thing so i think there's a bit of what i would call like tissue rejection almost um, so that's something to, to be mindful of. But I think that the positive side of this is that people understand uh, that there is more than just a nine to five job or work, right? That there is, um, and I think the blending can have two things. A, it can be positive because you can bring your true authentic self. You don't have to pretend to have these two personalities. The other thing though, is this blending, we need to watch out that it doesn't lead to, um, no boundaries, right? That could be the other, you know, because it's uh, comes with <laughs> comes with could come with a negative as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think those. I'm really happy that you're putting that to the table. Those two things of there are people who don't like it, who are, and I don't even know if that is who are still in the frame or in the paradigm of of just working and separate all those things. Maybe that is a that is a reality and it remains then reality. So, so that's one part of it. And the other part of you, what you're saying as well, is that the blending can also lead to no boundaries. Um, and, and if we start first on that, just there are people who don't like it. Um, what is your response when you encounter that, when there are people who are just in a very different paradigm? Um, so luckily I don't have, uh, luckily I think I'm in, the, the kind of environments I work in, uh, both with my company that I work for, but also the clients, I think there are very few who have that mindset, right? And it might be a biased choice on who I tend to work with, right, by well, itself. Can, can we stop yeah. here for a moment, yeah. though? Because I really want to emphasize this, because we started the whole conversation with everybody knows what the M&A and corporate finance yeah. and, and even strategy consulting, consulting life is like. And you are actually saying, well, to be honest, 
I don't really have that around me. Uh, <laughs> I don't have that many people. There must be something. Uh... No, yeah, no, no. But I mean, I mean, it is a tough environment and there are many people who work really hard. But I also see, surprisingly, right? And it's, it's, it's I think today people are just very open about their personal commitments, what they need to do. Um, and, and I don't think anyone talked about that stuff yeah. 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And now they do even even the old white-haired middle-aged guys right they always they love talking about their kids and if it's kids that are small what they need if it's kids who are bigger or need to go off to college and they need to help them figure stuff out um, i see a lot more openness around that right absolutely but of course right there's still many many tough people in business and there are people who think it's all about working hard um and that is a challenge right i think um it's it's trying to educate and it's i think it's trying to lead by example but then i also think there's a bit around picking your pick your battles right because i don't think and that's maybe this coming back to this point around maybe bias right where i choose who i want to work with because i think sometimes we, in sweden we say you can't teach an old dog how to sit right if they don't know how to sit you just tell them to sit they don't know so so i think it's a little bit like that you pick your battles right and i think you can then and then i think back to mine instead of teaching and telling people you show them by example um and i think I, I definitely think that is also something that that comes with age uh that doesn't mean that that you're less passionate about the topic but that you also at one point i mean we can see that with or at least i can see that with my daughter she's ready to fight every battle uh, yes. and then when you get a little bit older you say well honey maybe that battle, yes, that battle, no. I think that's yeah. what I'm hearing a little bit there as well. I, I agree, right? I mean, you know this, right? In my, you know, in my past, I would have picked every battle and I would have tried to convince and convert everyone. Today, I say, you know, I, you know, you'd be mindful and choose, choose which battles, you know, and sometimes it's fine for things to also take longer. I would never have said that five, seven years ago, never. Uh, but I've learned my lessons, right? Because I think I was close to probably giving it too much and burning out or whatever it was. Yeah, can you say, yeah. can you tell a little bit more about that? You said, I've learned my lessons. That is, uh, <laughs> I was going for every for every battle, for every win that was there, and I've learned my lessons. Can you share a little bit more about that? Because I think it's so useful for, for people who are in, in similar situations. Yeah, no, so I was... Um, in, in a different setting, not in my current company, I was very involved in right, certain talent topics, etc. And I think some of those ideas were quite new and, and very different from the way it had been done in the past. Um, and as such, I, you know, being very passionate about this, etc., I thought, well, it's a no-brainer. Of course, that's how we want to do it. And that's how we should all do it. And I couldn't actually, I was not able to see others' perspectives. And I was probably more like a bulldozer trying to implement certain things, uh, you know, and trying to run very, very fast. Um, I have one funny example, right? I was specifically, I was very, this very early on in, in one of those talent roles, I, I did a lot of change around gender and gender equality. Um, and we did that at a super pace, right? We come in and said, you know, we're going to change the, the way we have maternity leavers, like how long you can go, that you're eligible to work 80%, et cetera, right? And we changed it very, very quickly. And and that led to, it was, it was a very robust debate, but the change happened probably for the organization very quickly. And it actually ended up with me, I actually had one, even one partner call me and say, you're such a cowboy, you're like wrecking the whole system. And... And, you know, people getting very upset, right? And I think 
looking back, I still think it was the right thing to do because obviously what happened, nothing was wrecked. It actually has been a very positive development. So sometimes that was probably a battle worth picking. But I think there are others where maybe going slower, bringing people more on board, and then you know maybe some change doesn't happen either. It could also be fun. Well, and Anna, two things really strike me from this. First of all, is is your capacity to reflect uh, and be vulnerable and learn from from things that you might have done different. I think that is one of the key characteristics of being a soulful leader. Uh, and I think we're lacking that a lot in uh, in in working life or maybe in life in general. Do we dare to admit what what we might have done differently, knowing yeah. what we know now? So so I I really want to put a big line under that uh, as a as a masterful uh, thing for soulful leaders and i think secondly a really important one and that one as well is we might not always get the results that we thought that we were going to get there and yet it still has its function so being such a visionary as you are and being so passionate as you are around these topics um you were maybe breaking open this system yes indeed and with that uh, it might not have gone exactly how you wanted and yet it had its function and it had its role so it's also a little bit around letting go of that typical results that we wanted and trusting that what you are doing right there is uh, uh, has its function does that make any sense yeah no i agree right and i think it's 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 not being afraid to instill change uh, and sometimes it's very uncomfortable very uncomfortable and i think what i've learned as you said right i think uh, i was probably too bullish and didn't you know and and but that's also good right that's how you can bring change but i think what i've learned is probably being a little bit more mindful being you know picking your battles trying to bring people on board and that might take longer uh, but might come to a better result at the end and i think I, I was probably not someone who was big into personal improvement and learning. I mean, I would have probably said it as a lip service many years ago, but I probably was, you know, I was very focused and like running very fast. I think today, I think what what all these setbacks have taught me is that there is so much development potential, right? And actually taking time to reflect, taking a step back, going slow to go fast. Um, can be actually really, really helpful. And I think the one thing I know is that I still have a ton to learn. And I and I, I think this reminds me of a um, experience that I had uh, about ten years ago when I um, when I was leading a big strategic turnaround of a uh, of a public service company. And it's um, uh, and I still remember that I was in the morning. I was taking the elevator up to the top floor, um, uh, and and one of the employees was standing next to me in the in the lift and um, and I was I was totally focused on I had to do a presentation and uh, we made the whole strategic plan and it was all ready for that and the employee they ju he just looked at me and he said ah you're the one here is going to kick us all out right and and I felt so offended because I was convinced that I was doing it with my heart and with my soul and that I was delivering at the fastest pace what they could really need there in that organization and when I now and so it really hurt me and when I now think back of it I was like he was so right uh, I did not give myself the time to really get get involved in that person because I was just thinking of that that result and still it had a function I think it opened up a whole journey for that organization uh, and yet I would have done it very differently now. So um, yeah, I can relate to what you're explaining there.
change is hard, right? Change yes. is always hard. Personal change is hard. Company change is hard. But I think putting yourself in the other person's shoes, trying to see other perspectives um, is critical to make change actually happen. Um, that's probably that's for me one of the lessons learned be that in M&A where you bring companies together and you can right you have synergies you need to cut costs and all of that kind of good stuff or be it when you work and trying to change the talent and HR processes of a company the culture of a company internally as well right absolutely absolutely I, I fully agree with that and 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 maybe briefly going to uh, back to that past that topic that you're so passionate about about diversity um, mm. and diversity is goes way beyond gender right uh, what have you seen changing in that respect around diversity is there more balance there already not talking men female but those different aspects yeah so I mean there's diversity right and diversity can be from a gender but it can also be from a ethnicity a religious background uh, but it's also I think even like backgrounds in terms of do you come from business do you come from engineering medical you know there, there's so many aspects of diversity and I think the one big realization is you can put all sorts of diversity targets and diversity measures in if you don't create a culture of inclusion all of this doesn't matter and I think uh, that that's the big game changer that I see I see it but here's the thing I would say I see. I think there's this kind of factual realization that that needs to happen. Is it still, is it really truly being lived everywhere? Not at all, right? I, I don't see that. And I think that's also why you will see a lot of diversity measures fail. Because if you haven't created the base for a diverse set of people to be successful, feeling included, it, you know, you will see them leave right and I, I had someone very cynically talk to me yes like yeah we put all of these uh, females in these positions da, da, da. but they hadn't done anything to change the culture to make sure that they were included and I, it's a bit like are you asking someone to come to the ball or are you asking someone actually to come up on the dance floor and dance right that's a little bit I think the difference between yeah diversity maybe you got the invitation but were you actually really truly included and part of the party well, and I think this is where it completely links back to, to the type of leader that you are, because I dare to say, um, if you would have soulful leadership as the norm within organization, um, inclusion would, diversity not necessarily, but inclusion would look very different. Um, because it is automatically about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, in being empathetic, in being able to see different perspectives, all those traits that you need for inclusion. 100% agree. <laughs> um, because I think it's, it's, you know, empathetic or soulful leadership. It's all about allowing others to bring their true authentic self to work. Um, if you allow that, you actually create an inclusive environment. Um, and yeah, and, and I, you know, I think we all struggle with bias, right, and all sorts of con connection, like, and, um, you know, it's really, Bias really affects your happiness, your well-being, uh, your confidence of, you know, being able to be your best, be it at work or in, in private as well, right? Yeah, and I would add to that, that as long as you are still um, very much bias, I mean, we all have bias, but a bias can also be some sort of a cage uh, or even a box that you're locked in that can, yeah. can feel really scary um, of to go outside of that or maybe you're not even aware what is outside of that so i think there's a lot around 
first of all, we need to get that cage a little bit more transparent. Um, and once people start seeing what is outside of that, then you can yeah. also start changing it. Yeah, I agree, right? And I think it takes a ton of work to break down biases, right? First of all, all of us have them, right? And I think the first step is really understanding what biases we have. And some of them are unconscious, so they're going to be by definition impossible to understand. But knowing that we have biases and really taking that, you know, taking the chance to work on it. But it does take effort, right? And it doesn't happen overnight. Um, but as a leader, you can listen, you can reflect, you can really try and set an example to the team as well. Um, and, and with that, you also then create this learning culture, right? Which I think is it's, that all comes together as a circle. Absolutely, absolutely. Because I really think that if you are being that soulful leader where you are listening and humble and you're interested in yeah. the hopes and fears of the people around you, you can't go wrong in terms like this. And biases automatically are being examined and being explored because you're interested in yourself and in, your, in the other person. Well, we could go on for hours and hours, and I want to be mindful about your time as well. Is do you who do you believe should be a guest to talk soul business? Either because they are a great inspiration or because they have something valuable to say. Who inspired you or keeps on inspiring you on this path? Female business leaders in Switzerland. That would be quite interesting to see how they're doing it. Absolutely. That is that is great. Thank you so much for yeah. that. And and thank you again, uh, Anna, for, for being with me today and sharing so openly and honestly about your journey and about your lessons. Uh, and I am really sure that this is inspirational for the people listening to this as well. So thank you so much for that. Thank you very much, Barbara. It's been super inspiring just talking to you. So I really appreciate the, having this opportunity to reflect as well. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. You can find the show notes and the key takeaways from our amazing guests on my website, barbarareintjes.com, under podcast. Yes, that last name is hard. So check it out in the show description on the platform where you listened to this episode. If you did enjoy the show, please share your enthusiasm with us and with the world by leaving a review or by connecting with me on Instagram. You can find me as Let's Talk Soul Business. Your support means the world to me. I challenge you to think of one thing this week to bring in more heart and soul into your life because the world needs it. See you next week when we talk soul business.